Thank you, David, very much for that time of singing and praise. And now, my dear brothers and sisters, it is time for us to begin our study of God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out and open up to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. So the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Now, while you're turning there, let me go ahead and sort of summarize what we began last week. So last week, we began our study of the book of Acts. We looked at chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 8. We're titling this series, Authentic Church, a study in the book of Acts. We're calling it Authentic Church because, as I mentioned, for many people, they get their understanding of the nature and purpose of the church, not so much from the scriptures, but from their personal experience. So whether that's a negative experience, maybe some people say, I don't need church, I don't like church, I, I, I've had a bad experience of church, but what they're thinking of primarily is not what the Bible says the church is, but some experience that they've had out there. For other people, they might say, oh, I, I love church, I, I do it all the time, but they might be a part of a church experience where there isn't authentic fellowship and the scriptures perhaps aren't even taught. And so it's so important for us, if we want to claim to be a church, and we want to make sure that we are being faithful to God's vision of what his church is meant to be, it's so important that we get a fresh vision of what the church is and what it is meant to be through God's own word, the Bible. And so this morning we're continuing our study of the book of Acts in this series we're calling Authentic Church. As I mentioned, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 14 this morning, so please follow along with me now as I read the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Now when he, Jesus, had spoken these things, while they, the disciples, watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning because you have spoken. You have spoken through the apostles and prophets, and supremely, you have spoken through the word made flesh, your son, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we just pray that the same Holy Spirit who was poured out on Pentecost 2,000 years ago would be once again poured out upon us this morning. Lord, we pray that this outpouring of the Spirit would fill us to overflowing, that we might be sanctified in our hearts and minds, that our desires would be conformed to yours, that our thoughts would align with your thoughts. We pray that the power and the ability to fulfill the work of the ministry to which each and every believer has been called will be made possible through the empowering of the Spirit. We also pray for the Holy Spirit to come alongside us, to be our guide, to be our counselor, to speak to us in which way your people are to go. We pray that in all of this, you would move our hearts to honor, desire, and to worship Christ. Christ as Lord. Christ as Savior. Christ as our soon and coming King. We ask that you move upon us now. I pray especially for your anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon me as I seek to expound your word faithfully so that your sheep might be fed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, no one likes being left alone. And I don't mean having alone time, which can be very good. I think it's very important that every single one of us has intentional alone time with the Lord. Now, for some of us, that might be easier than others. For some people, if they live alone, they, they have alone time quite often. And yet they need to purpose that that alone time does not become occupied with everything and anything but with time with Jesus. For others, perhaps families with little kids in the house, um, on the one hand, it's a blessing. They're never alone. I mean, never. But then that's also a challenge, isn't it? Because even someone who is surrounded by people needs to be intentional about having alone time with Jesus. We need to be able to arise while it is still dark or whatever time that might be for you in your situation and have alone time with Jesus. But I'm not talking about this alone time that is intentional. I'm talking this morning specifically about feeling abandoned or feeling left all alone. That feeling is a feeling that nobody would desire. When we sense that we've been left alone or abandoned, we have a sense of uneasiness, lostness, and even hopelessness. And those feelings can begin gathering in our hearts like clouds gathering in a storm. And like clouds in a storm, those clouds can begin to rain. But when these feelings begin to rain, what happens is that rain becomes thoughts in our minds. Thoughts that take those initial feelings of lostness, emptiness, hopelessness, abandonment, and it begins to sow seeds of doubt in our minds. 
And if we start to believe those doubts, if we start to receive them without question, what happens is our actions soon follow. And then we find, like being trapped in quicksand, our every action only serves to cause us to sink deeper into the problems we are facing rather than getting us out. Now, many people believe that if they would just become a Christian, then such feelings of being left alone or abandoned would never happen. If they simply believe that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, then there will never be storms in their lives. It will be all smooth sailing with clear, sunny skies. But friends, it is important from my heart to yours, from scripture to you, that that is completely false. The scriptures nowhere promise followers of Jesus an easy life. The scriptures nowhere promise people that we will never feel alone. For even when Jesus was physically with his disciples, we know that storms were a part of the disciples' lives. Even with Jesus physically, tangibly in front of them, they would be at times caught in a storm, scared for their lives, doubting whether God even cared. And that was the disciples who physically had Jesus. So what about you and I today? Who don't have the benefit of having Jesus physically in front of us. Does that mean it's harder for us to feel forsaken or, or abandoned and to go through storms and difficulties? I would say it probably makes it harder in many particular ways because we don't see Jesus, at least not by the sight of our physical eyes. And yet what I want to show us this morning, and this will be my main point, is that there is a pathway through the storm. That if you feel alone today, you can know that you are not alone in that experience. As a matter of fact, as we turn to our text this morning, of Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, we actually see that this is the mood, that this is the emotional state of feeling for the disciples. They are in this place. They have a sense and a feeling of being left alone, even possibly abandoned. That is not to say that's what happened. It's to say that is how they felt. One of the mistakes I think people make when they read scripture is they sort of read it stoically, as though we're only supposed to read scripture with our brains, but not with our hearts. Now, while it's true, we want to be careful to not read scripture only with our hearts, with our feelings, mining the scriptures for simply that which registers with my emotional state. We do need to be careful about only doing that. But I would say the converse is true. We need to be very careful that we don't sort of detach ourselves from how we're feeling and what we're going through 
and simply try to say, okay, it says this, it's true. Okay, I guess I just need to figure it out. I want you to notice there is an emotional feeling, sensational response to what is happening right now. And I want to point that out for us this morning. Let's begin in verse 9. It says, Now when he, that is Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So notice the experience. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. They are with Jesus. They are physically with him. They love him. He loves them. They've spent three years of their lives with him. And remember, it was so far out of their minds that Jesus could ever leave them because, in a sense, they were so sure that he was the Messiah, which they were right about, but they were wrong about the Messiah's mission. They didn't fully understand. They understood parts of it, but they didn't understand the whole. And because they didn't understand the mission of the Messiah as Isaiah's suffering servant, every time Jesus would tell them, I'm going to die and I'll be taken from you. I'm going to die and I'm going to be... They were like, no, that's not possible. And I know it's strange because we all know at some point in life that we're going to die. We all know that anyone we love, anybody in life, at some point they're going to die. And this isn't morbid. I know we might even feel that way to even raise the subject is somehow morbid. But actually, it, I mean, it is basic reality. I mean, what things can we be more sure of than that? That death is a certainty in life. All these other things we think are so sure and they prove not to be and we make decisions based on them and allow these possibilities of things to move our hearts and our thoughts and our actions and yet many times those things are not true at all or, or perhaps partially true but, but inaccurate and yet the idea of death is, is certain. We know that's going to happen and yet somehow, some way, because certain things become so fixed and familiar in our minds, we can't possibly imagine that things could ever be any different. And I think that's what happened with the disciples. It was a combination of, you know, we've just become so fixed in this relationship. We're so sure that this is always going to last. That every time Jesus would talk about dying and being taken from them, they just didn't get it. But now the moment has come. The moment has come in which what has become, I believe for them, the most foundational relationship in their lives. Now remember, for, for some of us perhaps, and certainly many people, most people in the world, a relationship with Jesus is, is not fundamental. It's, it's not essential. It's either not there at all, or it's like secondary. You know, maybe a husband or a wife, that, that's more important than Jesus. Maybe a, a son or a daughter, that's more important. Maybe a job, maybe physical health. Those things are more important than Jesus is kind of added on later. And so the degree to which Jesus is most important is going to shape the outcome of how we face seasons of feeling left alone and abandoned. Now, I want to suggest that I think as close as is possible for finite, fallible sinners to, to be close to Jesus and to make him number one, I think the disciples are, are pretty close. I mean, when many other would-be followers of Jesus had turned away, and the Gospels record this, and it says, and many followed him, Jesus, no more. Jesus even at one point turns to these apostles and he says, will you too leave? Will you too walk away? 
And it was Peter who said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Jesus even taught them, saying, There's no one who's left father, mother, sister, brothers, house, children, and their own houses who will, who will not receive back. And Peter goes, See, we've done these things. What will we get? In other words, Peter and these apostles are people who, they're making Jesus foundational. He's becoming, if he's not already, the most important thing in their lives. More foundational than family, friends, anything else. And so I want you to imagine that. And even if you don't share that in common, Jesus is not number one to you today. Let me point something out. Something is foundational in your life. There's something that is most important to you. Something or someone of ultimate concern. Someone or something that if it were removed, it would feel like your whole world, the cosmos, just fell apart. I want you to think for a moment who or what that is. Who or what, if it were removed from you right now at this moment, you wouldn't just feel a sense of change. You wouldn't just feel a sense of loss. You would feel like the whole world just ended. If you can at least grasp that, then you can start to feel how the apostles are feeling here. When Jesus had spoken these things, they watched as he was taken out of their sight. What kind of emotional place do you think the apostles are in at this moment? Again, this is the kind of moment that the disciples had been dreading. The kind of moment they didn't believe was possible. They thought, no, you, you can't go. You're the Messiah. Messiahs don't go. They stay. The promised king of Israel, the seed of David, they, he, he stays. His, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That, that's what it says in, in Daniel. That was the prophecy. This is the kingdom that lasts forever. You you can't go. And yet he went. In this moment, I believe that the apostles are feeling left alone. They're feeling abandoned. This isn't the sense of, oh, I've chosen to be alone with Jesus. They did not choose this. Maybe you didn't choose this. But it's happened nonetheless. So what do we do? Well, let's begin by seeing what we don't do. Verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, what we see here is a rebuke by two angels of the disciples. I want you to observe that, and I'll unpack that for you, but let me say it again. What we're seeing here is a rebuke, a correction, of the disciples by the angels. Now, where do we get that? Two key things. First of all, 
the angel appeared, these two angels, these same two angels appeared earlier in Luke's gospel chapter 20. So remember we said Luke is the author of Acts. This is a two-part work. Acts was preceded by the gospel of Luke. In Luke's gospel, two angels have already appeared and spoken. And when was that? What were the circumstances? What did they say? Why did they say it? Well, back in Luke's gospel, after Jesus had died, we know that the apostles, even though they were told that Jesus was going to die and rise again, as I said, they didn't get it, couldn't believe it, was unimaginable. And so they run to the empty tomb to to, to see, to figure out what happened. Is his body stolen? That, that's probably what happened. It was stolen. The, the Romans took it or, or who knows? The, the Pharisees took it. We're not sure. So they run there and guess what we see? We see two angels in dazzling white, just like these, perhaps the very same two angels, probably likely. And in that scene, they correct, they rebuke. Again, not angrily. Remember, rebuke doesn't mean in anger, but it means a, a sharp correction. And once again, these two angels in the Gospel of Luke ask a question. They see, why do you seek the living among the dead? Do you see that? It's a correction. The apostles are headed in the wrong direction. And the angels, these two angels in white, are sent to rebuke through the asking of a question that points them in the right direction. So just as the angels came and appeared and corrected, rebuked the apostles for seeking the living among the dead, they had the wrong idea, here they are again. And they are correcting the disciples, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? They are correcting them. In other words, they are saying, Why are you stargazing? Why are you just standing there, staring at the sky, hoping what you just saw happen didn't really happen, or, or it's going to all be fixed right now, like what we, we want Jesus back, and it's just going to happen right now. Various thoughts are probably going through their minds, but the angels show up and they correct them. Now, why? Why are they correcting them? Because on the surface, it's only natural. If it's true that Jesus was ascending up into heaven and received by a cloud, doesn't it make sense that they looked up and, and saw it? Well, there's a little clue here in the Greek that helps us understand there's something a little bit more than that going on. Let me point you to it. It's in verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Okay, now here's the important point. What the text is not saying is that the disciples saw Jesus ascend and they just looked and were ready to go on their way. Actually, what is being said is, after Jesus was gone, they stood there for some time, continuing to stare into heaven. So in other words, the Greek, and I'll, I'll be specific for you, it uses the imperfect tense of the verb. If it wanted to communicate to us that the disciples only stood there for a moment, Jesus went up for a moment, so they looked for a moment. Not a problem. Then the then Luke, speaking by the Spirit, would have used the aorist tense, just an undefined action. But instead, being inspired by the Spirit, Luke uses, recording faithfully what happened in history, he uses the imperfect form of the Greek verb. 
What does that mean? I didn't study Greek, Pastor Mike. Well, here's the simple answer. Basically, the imperfect tense of a Greek verb denotes continuous action in past time. Listen to that. The imperfect tense denotes continuous action in past time. In other words, what is being communicated is the disciples are not being rebuked for simply looking at Jesus as he was ascended. There's no problem there. The rebuke comes after Jesus is ascended. They are continuing to stare into heaven, and they are not doing what they've been called to do. In other words, this staring at the sky, this passivity, this lack of understanding actually becomes an act of disobedience. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Mike, what are they disobeying? How did they know? They're just disobeying and they didn't have a chance to know? No, friends, God told them what to do. Look back with me at verse 4 of this very same chapter. It says, and being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them. Listen, what is that? Commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which it says in verse 5 is the Holy Spirit. So in other words, here's the problem. It wasn't wrong for the disciples to to see Jesus go up. It wasn't wrong to necessarily have the the natural feelings that, that come along with this particular loss or this experience. But what is wrong is how they just remained there. And they stood just staring, hoping it'll just change. No, because they've been given something to do. The goal here was not simply to remove, but to move. Listen to that. The goal of this loss was not simply to remove, but to move. To move God's people into the direction of their vocation and calling. And they were called specifically to go back to Jerusalem. They're at all of that, which is just a Sabbath day's journey outside of Jerusalem. They were called to go back. And it almost seems if the angels didn't come, they were just going to stay there. They were just going to stay there on Mount Olivet and just sit there and, and look up. And that's all they're doing. For some people, that's what they're doing today. We all know there's a war going on. In the Middle East, there's almost always a war going on in the land of Israel of some kind, sometimes minor, sometimes major. This last episode between Israel and Hamas uh, was was particularly um, just frightening, seeing what was going on, and many people tuned into the news, understandably, rightly so, just like Jesus ascended, it's only natural to see. Here's where the problem with with people staring at the news comes in. If we are just staring at the news all day, it's no difference than the apostles who were just staring into the heavens. Okay, I think he's coming. I think it, wait, no, no, that was just a different clap. No, wait, okay, let's just stay here. That's how some people are with the news. They just stare at the news, doing nothing, not being empowered by the Spirit, not seeking God's Word, not being in fellowship, not evangelizing. And that's the problem. Again, we're not saying it's it's wrong to look at the news. I I think it can be. It's good to be informed. It's good to be encouraged. Jesus could come at any moment. We know that. But just like the apostles here, we are not told to stargaze. We are not told to just stare. We're not told to just stare at that loss. We are called to move. God's goal is not just to remove, but 
to move. And so they were continuing this action beyond a reasonable time. And so the angels come to rebuke them and to get them back on track. Friends, I want you to remember that the word for angel is simply the word that means messenger. That's what angelos in Greek means. That's what malach in Hebrew means. It just means messenger. Sometimes, because of the context, we know it's a heavenly creature. The messenger happens to be a heavenly creature. But many times, God sends a human messenger to us. As a matter of fact, by the grace of God, through the human act of preaching, that is what I'm hoping to do this morning, is bring you a message. Perhaps some of you have been staring at the wrong thing. You've been stargazing. You've been simply allowing whatever loss that is to consume you without letting it move you towards what God has for you. And so a messenger, a human messenger can come along and God can use them to rebuke us in a loving way and say, hey, you are just sitting in this wrong place and you need to go over here. It says, moving on in verse 12, so then they returned, so they obeyed. That's good news. Friends, we should always be weary when we're in a sense of loss, when we feel left or abandoned and we begin to disobey God. I guarantee you, friend, even if I have no idea what the details are of your situation or what the next step ought to be, I can tell you what it should not be. It should not be disobedience against God. Sin will never be the way forward for a child of God. Not ever. It doesn't matter what the world is doing. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't even necessarily matter what other Christians are doing. We are never to disobey God. It is not our way forward. So what we see here is the apostles. Though they were lingering long at the wrong things, the angels speak a word of rebuke, God's messenger sent to them, and they obey. This is good news. Already, we're seeing good news. The path out of our situation is always the path of obedience. So if you don't know whatever else to do in terms of details and specifics, keep obeying God's word. Keep going the direction that God's word has laid in front of you. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So friends, notice where the disciples turn to. In their moment of feeling left alone or abandoned, what do they do? They return to the upper room. Now, what is the upper room? Now, obviously, on in one sense, just geographically and historically, it simply is literally that. It is an upper room on the second story of a house. That's it. But the upper room is also a symbolic thing in Scripture. The upper room is also symbolic of communion, prayer, and intimacy with God. I want you to notice that. This idea of the upper room denotes communion, prayer, and intimacy with God. 
Now, more immediately, we might be pointed back to the Last Supper. And we'll remember that the disciples celebrated the Last Supper with Jesus together in an upper room. And so to them, it would denote communion with Jesus. It would denote intimacy with Jesus. But if we also go further back into the scriptures, we go further back into the Old Testament, we might remember a scene from the book of Daniel where these evil wise men, these magi, they have it out for Daniel. They want him to be destroyed, but he's such an upright, just, and ethical, moral man. They know the only way they can get him is with respect to the worship of his God. And so they dupe the king into making it a law that anyone who worships any other god but their god, but the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. And so they watch carefully after the edict is passed. And sure enough, you know what Daniel does? Knowing full well, he goes up, guess where? To an upper room. And he begins to pray. Notice that the upper room is a picture of intimacy with Jesus and prayer before the face of the living God. I want you to notice how important prayer was in the life of Daniel. Daniel would rather be thrown into a lion's den than to abandon his upper room of prayer. Isn't that amazing? For many of us, prayer is constantly abandoned. We might be in a den of lions, and so we're, we're, we're thinking of any way we can to possibly get out of it, to do this, to do that, or, or to disobey God so we won't get thrown in in the first place. But notice for Daniel that prayer and intimacy and faithfulness to God is more important than any lion's den he might face in life. Notice with Jesus, even Jesus, who is both the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, and yet Jesus in all his ministry to the sick, the lost, the hurting, the broken, the sinful, would withdraw alone and be in prayer with the Father. So much so that the disciples saw him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Friends, I want to show you that what is being commanded here, what is being gifted here, is communion with God in prayer. When we are going through seasons of lostness, emptiness, hopelessness, abandonment, when we're experiencing that, what are we to do? The believer seeks the face of God in prayer. And I want to point out, too, the definite article is used with the word prayer. It specifically says these all continued with one accord in the prayer. What's the prayer? I just thought it was prayer in general. What's the prayer? It was probably the prayer for the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that? Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Why in our prayers should we be praying for the Holy Spirit? And I'll say specifically this. There are many aspects as to why we desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Why it is other foolishness to seek to be the church or to be a Christian as an individual without the Holy Spirit. But I want to draw you to one particular thing. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is grants us a sense of communion with Christ himself so that we know we are not alone. In John chapter 14, actually let's turn there. 
John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, Jesus told his disciples this, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, so Jesus is praying, and he will give you another helper, another helper. Some translations say advocate or comforter, another helper, another advocate, another comforter. And notice that word another. It's the Greek word alas, which means of the same kind. In other words, just as Jesus was a comforter and a helper and an advocate for the disciples, so that is who the Holy Spirit is to us. The Holy Spirit comforts us in the absence of Christ's presence, in that sense of abandonment or left aloneness. It is the Holy Spirit who fills us with that sense of belonging to God. That is why the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans could say that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who, fi who fills our hearts when we're alone. That sense of emptiness and aloneness that we're desperately trying to fill with other things in life is meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Helper, Advocate, Spirit of Adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Let me suggest that that is the one prayer. Jesus, as I pointed out earlier in, Luke, in Acts chapter 1, told them to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Friends, we cannot be the authentic church without the empowering, enabling, indwelling, guiding, help, comfort of the Holy Spirit. We need him today. We need him today every bit as much as we ever did our first day. We don't get a dose of the Holy Ghost on our first day, and then after that, we become moral. We kick some bad habits to the curb. We learn some new things. We get some new ideas. We surround ourselves in new company, and then we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. Friends, woe to us if we neglect the Holy Spirit. Woe to us if we don't understand that the Spirit is the necessary gift of God, which binds us to Christ. He's the one that enables us to endure the storms of life. He's the one who enables us to rest in the love and care and providence of God, just like Jesus did in the stern of that boat when he fell asleep, the storms raged, and the disciples panicked. If we want rest in the storm, calm in the storm, peace knowing that we have God, knowing that even when we're alone, we will never be abandoned, then we must turn to the Holy Spirit. We must receive him. And how do we do this, you ask? I understand that. I do feel abandoned. I know someone who's abandoned. I understand the Holy Spirit is the answer because he's the one that communicates Christ to us so that he is spiritually present to our hearts. And how do we do that? Through the upper room of prayer. Friends, it is time for us as a church to return to the upper room of prayer. In our daily lives, we need to be men and women of prayer. Are you seeking the face of God in prayer every day? Are you seeking specifically 
for the empowering enabling of the Holy Spirit in your lives? Are you giving in to the thoughts and feelings that the world and life and situations in your own mind are throwing at you? Do you just grab them and believe them uncritically without comparing them to the Word of God and letting the Word of God declare what is fair, what is foul, what is right, what is evil? And are we welcoming and praying for the Holy Spirit to make these words food for our souls? Friends, I believe there is a season of communion and intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit that he has for Image Church. I want to invite you all to dedicate yourselves this morning to seeking the face of God morning and evening. For some of you, that may just be like Daniel. That is your regular pattern. But I do believe for many of us, that is not a regular pattern. I want to encourage you every day from this day forward, together, we'll do this when we're separate. We'll do this when we're together. But in one accord, one mind, one heart, that's not just geography, friends. We all know you can shove bodies into a same space and you could be worlds apart in your hearts. We're talking about one mind, one heart, one spirit, wherever we are. When we gather, we want to be men and women of prayer, a community of prayer, a church of prayer, humbly dependent on the spirit for everything that we have and everything we hope to do. When we are on our own, wherever that might be, that we will seek the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We will rise in the morning before we lay our heads to sleep. We will seek the face of God in prayer. We will reach out actively to brothers and sisters in the church. I'm going to go ahead. If you didn't know this already, I want to empower you for ministry this morning. You've been called to minister. And if you don't know the specific gifts and talents you might have, let me tell you what you do have. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the gift of prayer. You can go before the throne of grace and ask for mercy on behalf of brothers and sisters. So reach out to somebody this week. Just encourage somebody. Don't assume people are just always encouraged. You have no idea what many people are going through. Many people have no idea what you're going through this morning. We need to be praying for one another in prayer. Let us purpose to be an authentic church that prays in all authenticity, for the Holy Spirit to bind us to our Lord and Savior Christ. For it is only in his name, his power, his gospel, that we can take this message to the ends of the earth until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your Holy Spirit, who not only first breathed these words through the apostles, so that they became the word of God binding on the church for all time. But even now, that same Holy Spirit presides over the hearts and minds of all of us. And I pray, Lord, you would make these words breath and life to their lungs. I pray that you would let them know that even if they are alone, they have not been abandoned. You are with them. You will never leave them nor forsake them. Jesus promised that he would not leave us as orphans, and he did not. But so often in life, we choose to live as orphans. Lord, if that's us this morning, let us live as orphans in this world no more. 
Let us welcome the spirit of adoption who testifies we are sons and daughters of the king who loved us and gave himself for us. And if he gave himself, he spared not himself. The father spared not his son. How much more can we trust him to supply us with whatever we need for this journey of faith? Lord, pour out your spirit on our community. Pour out your spirit on all those who view this sermon, not only now, but perhaps sometime in the future, even then at that distant moment, because you declared the world before it was even made. You chose us in Christ before the world even was, Lord. Go before those and touch their hearts. Pour out your spirit on them. Use us, Lord. Not to gaze into the heavens, Lord, but to be active in our mission of the gospel. For the gospel is concerned with bringing this message to the ends of the earth. Lord, help us to live faithfully. And when you come, to be found faithful, occupying ourselves with kingdom business. We ask for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, dear friends, I hope this morning's message was a blessing to you. And if it was, I want to encourage you to take some time today. Perhaps for some of you, it needs to be now. It is possible this moment the Lord spoke and in this moment will pass from you. I can testify in my own life that's happened to me many times where the Lord spoke to me. I felt it. I knew change or breakthrough could happen. And I said, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll think about that later. I, I got to go eat lunch. Friends, if the Spirit is leading, take a moment and spend that time with Him in the upper room. Spend that time in intimacy and prayer. Maybe do it now. Just you and Jesus. Disconnect from the computer. Go into a room, to a closet, outside, wherever it might be, and commune with Jesus in the upper room. Seek His face in prayer. Seek the empowering of the Spirit. Make this a new rhythm and habit in your life. I would also encourage you for those who are in the San Juan Capistrano area, there's going to be a community group meeting in San Juan Capistrano tomorrow. And, and what we're going to be doing there at food, fellowship, prayer, and gathering around this message and seeking the face of God, digesting it together as a community. So if you're in the area and you would like to participate in that, just send us an email so we can send you the address, time, and any information that you would like. So email us at information at imagechurchoc.com. That's information at imagechurchoc.com. You can also just send us a message through the Facebook message feature on our Facebook page as well. For those of you that would like to worship the Lord through the act of financial giving, you can do that in a couple different ways. If you choose to do that, you can do so through the website which is imagechurchoc.com. There's a giving tab at the top. You can click there and you're able to give using a card. If you prefer to mail in a check, you can do that to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway, Ellis and Larry 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California 92694. Again, all that information is on our website, imagechurchoc.com. 
Again, I want to encourage you to join with us throughout the week for the various events that we're doing. So Wednesday night, we have a midweek Bible study. We are resuming our study of the in-depth study of the book of Exodus. So I encourage you uh, to join us for that. Exodus is, is amazing, taking us a long time because we do go in-depth in the Bible here at Image Church. But I encourage you, the going in-depth, I believe, is worth it. So join us on Wednesday, Wednesday nights for that. We have a men's meeting on Zoom on Thursday nights that we do. We also have a men's dinner coming up. So we're going to meet in person for a dinner at Bravo Burger on June 10th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. So if you'd like to join us, you can just be there. You can let us know you're going to be there, um, but feel free to just show up from 6 to 7.30. If you can't get there right at 6, that's fine. Come at any time that you're able to, and it'll just be a time of prayer, of fellowship, good food, and catching up with one another. We have a women's group that also meets on Friday mornings via Zoom and then also some in-person uh, fellowship gatherings as well. Um, I just want to encourage you, if you're in the area, this next Sunday, one week from today, we'll be meeting in person in San Juan Capistrano. So all the information about our in-person gathering will be on our website, which is imagechurchoc.com. Again, friends, I want to encourage you, don't let this be the end of your walk with the Holy Spirit this week, allowing the Spirit to lead, to guide, to empower your life. Let this service just be the beginning, the tip of the iceberg of the life in the Spirit that God has for His people. Again, if you do need prayer, you can use our church phone, uh, which is on our website. Just scroll to the bottom of the first page and you'll see our phone number. We also have the email as well. So if you need to reach out for prayer, we encourage you to do that also. And let me close now with this prayer of blessing. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in order that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for joining us with this morning, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. God bless you, and have a blessed week.